uh, 57, verse number 15. Isaiah chapter number 57, verse number 15. It is good to be able to gather together tonight, one way or the other. And uh, we were debating all afternoon on exactly how to uh, announce uh, we were going to do the services tonight. And it um, didn't look as if it was going to be that, uh, that dangerous for those who lived us close by. And uh, so we put out a post that we were going to kind of leave it up to everyone and want everybody to stay safe. And uh, that's kind of going to be our policy moving forward. I, I hate to cancel. We've done enough of that, I think, to last a lifetime and uh, at least leave the doors open for those who do live close enough and are able to make it in uh, and, and, and then open up the live stream for those who, uh, who aren't able to make it. So it is good to be together tonight. And uh, days like today, you go back to Genesis 9, don't you? Make sure that he said he wasn't going to flood the earth again because the ditches are awfully full tonight. Our gutters are full. Uh, thanks be to God that we have a semi-dry building that we can uh, meet together in. Isaiah chapter number 57. I'm going to read one verse for the sake of time tonight and, uh, and then give you the message. And then we'll uh, have our invitation time and, and dismiss. But there's a verse right here that I believe is going to help us as we continue to prepare our hearts for revival. Isaiah 57, verse 15, the Bible says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Pray you help us tonight with it. Lord, I pray that you're all ready and you have been working in my heart and the hearts of our church as we do prepare for revival. Lord, if ever before, we don't need just another week of meetings. Lord, we need to have a revival. And we need you to stir us, and we need to be available to be stirred. And I pray you're already doing that, and we'll make ourselves available to be stirred. Bless the message tonight. These simple truths help us receive them, that we might even be closer, Lord, to having revival here at Central. We might reach those you've called us to for us in Jesus' name. Amen. I have mentioned time and time again on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights that my prayer is that we are readying our hearts for revival. Uh, I don't know of many Christians tonight who you couldn't go around to and talk with and that wouldn't say that they believe that the need for America tonight is truly revival. I think we would all agree with that. Uh, but where, where it comes down to the brass tacks tonight, if we truly believe that revival is the answer, then we're going to be doing what is necessary in order to have revival. If we truly believe that's the answer, that God heals our land and God reaches down and God does what only God could do, uh, then we're going to do our part in order to help bring about revival. Now, revival is not something that we wait for. Oftentimes, I do believe we read the Word of God and we read how people were just waiting for God to do something and wanted God to act. We read about that on Sunday morning a couple of weeks ago. But there's a part that we must play in here because revival is not just something that we wait for. Uh, revival is something that we must be working toward. We've all heard the phrase before that good things come to those who wait. And when it comes to patience, I agree with that, all right? Good things do come to those who wait. But could I add to that just for a moment tonight in light of revival? I believe better things come to those who work. Good things do come to those who wait, but better things come to those who work. Now, think about it tonight. Many of you have been working hard for 20, 30 years, and you're working towards your what? You're working toward retirement. All right? You're working. Why? Because you want a good retirement. You want to be able to take that time and relax and enjoy the fruit of your labors. How many times do you hear people say, I'm waiting on retirement? If you're waiting on retirement, I hate to tell you tonight, you're not going to have a very good retirement. Why? Because in order to have that, you're going to have to work toward that. 
I was thinking about it tonight in the way of, of weight. Uh, I am working on losing some weight. Now, I just don't want to become an overweight preacher. I believe there's too many of those out there, and it's a bad testimony, uh, I believe, for the ministry. And so I've been trying to do a little bit better on how I eat and whatnot, and I'm working toward losing weight. Now, imagine if I said to you tonight, I'm waiting to lose weight. That doesn't work out very good, does it? That's why most Americans today, I think the statistic is over 50% of Americans are obese now. Why? Because too many of us are waiting to lose weight. Uh, look, if you want to lose weight tonight, you've got to lose the W-A-I-T, okay? Lose the weight so you can lose the W-E-I-G-H-T, okay? What does that mean? It means you've got to work toward it, right? Uh, I think about a lot of folks, and I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I've heard of a lot of Christians talking about working their way out of debt. Now, you imagine if you said, I'm going to wait my way out of debt. That doesn't happen. Why? Because there's this little pesky thing called interest. And interest compounds, and it grows, and the debt that you have today is bigger tomorrow. Why? Because it doesn't go away by waiting. It goes away by working. Now, revival's the same way. Good things do come to those who wait, but better things come to those who work. And there's some things we've got to do in the last few weeks and the next few services we have together. We're going to be looking at some things we've got to do in order to prepare our hearts to have revival. Now, we could sit here tonight and list millions of things. Millions of things that are wrong in America, millions of things that are wrong in our homes, and little details of things that we need to fix, but we're going to try to simplify it for the few minutes we have together tonight and really look at the roots of revival, and that's the message tonight. We're going to look at the roots of revival, and we're going to see some things in verse number 15 that need to transpire in the lives of God's people in order for us to be prepared for revival. There's some choices we have to make in order for us to see the change that we desire through revival. Now look at verse 15, if you will, and you're going to notice that word mentioned twice. The Bible says here, the Bible says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And when you read this verse, obviously it's speaking about the Lord. Notice the capital letters here. You see the capital O on one and the capital H on holy. We're speaking about the Lord, but you dig a little bit deeper and you'll see it's specifically talking about where the Lord dwells. Notice what it says. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth, it's saying where he dwells, eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. So we see where he dwells, the high and the holy place. But let's keep reading a little bit further. I dwell in the high and holy place with him, with him. So not only is it talking about God and where God dwells, it shows us in verse 15 who God dwells with. Now, folks, tonight, one of the most glorious attributes of our God is the simple fact that he desires his people to be in his presence. You think about that tonight. Most people who have uh, an elevated position in this world and this life, whether in politics or notoriety as a celebrity, they don't necessarily want to be around the common people. But you think about the very God of heaven and earth, and he desires his people to be in his presence. Now, in spite of all of God's desire that we be in his presence, and all that God said and all that God did in order for us to remain in his presence, how often do we find our way out of his presence? I mean, look, it's ingrained in this stuff right here. It's almost like a magnet, you know, when a magnet, when you have those poles on them and you put them together and they repel each other. 
This stuff right here repels the presence of God. But it's God's desire that we be in his presence. Now, that's the first root of revival tonight that we need to see. Number one, I want you to notice the priority of revival. The priority of revival. Now, if you had to sum up revival tonight, it would simply be this. That God's people would return to God's presence. Okay? And we could define revival a thousand different ways. Okay? Turning back to God. Repenting of our sin. But if we wanted to sum it up in a simple way tonight for this message, it would be God's people returning to God's presence. Now, why is that? Well, first off, because God desires we be in his presence. Go back to the Garden of Eden. What do we see? We see God fellowshipping with man. Almighty God fellowshipping with his creation. Fast forward a little bit. We see Numbers chapter number two. When the tabernacle, the tent, was pitched in the, uh, in the midst of the tribes, the Bible says, I want you to put it in the midst of the camp. Now, that tabernacle had the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God would come down, and God would dwell in the presence of his people. Fast forward a little further than that, the book of Matthew. We see the Savior being born. And what is his name? His name is Emmanuel, which is interpreted what? God with us. So all throughout Scripture, Old Testament to New Testament, we see it's the desire of Almighty God that his people dwell in his presence. Now, can I tell you something tonight? Good things happen when God's people dwell in God's presence. Give you some examples. There's peace for God's people when we dwell in his presence. One of my favorite examples is Elisha when he is at Dothan. And do you remember when the king sent the army to surround him and bring him back? And the servant wakes up in the morning and walks out of the tent, and he sees the army surrounding them, ready to take them back, and he's scared to death. And then here comes Elisha. I've always pictured him with a cup of coffee in my hand. I'll never be able to read that passage without thinking. Elisha walks out of the tent with a cup of coffee in his hand. Now, I'm not adding to the word of God. That's just how my elementary brain sees it, okay? He goes into the tent and he says, Elisha, how shall we do? Elisha walks out and he looks around. He asks God to open the eyes of the servant. The Bible says when God opened the eyes of the servant, he saw that the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire. What an amazing account. Can you imagine the peace that that servant had at that time? Why? Because he knew he was now in the presence of God. There's great peace for God's people when we're in the presence of God. Is that not what David had when he faced Goliath? David doesn't seem scared, does he? Why? Because he knew he was in the presence of God. Now, this is just one of the many benefits of being in the presence of God. There's peace. Think about this tonight. There's power in the presence of God. There's power. What did Rahab say? When the spies come over, she says, we heard you're coming. And they were afraid. This great and mighty city of Jericho. And they're shaken. They're boarded up. They're scared to death. Why? Because here comes the people who has the presence of God, the ark of God, the presence of God is going before them. They're scared to death. Why? There's power in the presence of God. We could go on and on tonight. I'll give you one more. There's providence in the presence of God. What does Psalm 23 say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's providence. What does that mean? That means when you're in the presence of the shepherd that God provides for his own. Look, it's in our best benefit tonight that we as God's people make our way back to God's presence. Now, what's the problem tonight? Well, the problem is Isaiah 59 too. What does the Bible say? 
but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. What happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were in the presence of God? What got them kicked out of the garden, out of the presence of God? It was sin. What happened when God removed that tabernacle out of the midst of his people outside of the camp? It was sin that removed that. Now, folks, what was the need of the Savior coming in Matthew chapter number one? It was sin that had separated us from God. Now, if we're going to have revival, the root of revival is God's people getting back in God's presence. Now, look, we want peace, we want power, and we want providence. Do you know where those come from? The very presence of God. Now, here's what's sad. I don't think any of us in our right mind tonight would say, you know what? I don't want peace. I don't want power. And I don't want providence. None of us would say that. But do you know when we refuse to live in the presence of God and we refuse to confess and forsake the sin in our life, we are choosing to forfeit the peace, the power, and the providence of Almighty God because that very sin we cling to is keeping us out of the presence of God. Now, what is revival? Revival is when we surrender those things that are separating us from God. Revival is where you want the peace of God so much and the power of God so much and the providence of God so much, you're willing to surrender those things that are separating you from God. Do you know what a wedge is? Do I know what a wedge is? Okay, not a wedge of cheese, but like a wedge that we put under a doorstop. We have just about all the doors around here. We have these little wood wedges, and those keep the door open, all right? Wedges keep things separated. Uh, today, I did something that surprised even my wife. I took the garbage out today, and uh, I came back in, put the, I, not only did I take the garbage out, I even put a new bag in there. She was so proud of me. I'm, I'm growing in the Lord, and um, I went to slide the drawer shut that the garbage can is in there, and the cabinet's in a drawer, you know, and I went to slide the drawer shut, and the drawer would not shut. And I'm like, you know, you think if you push it hard enough, it's just going to close, and finally, I opened up the drawer, and I looked in the back of the drawer. The roll of garbage bags that was in the box had gotten twisted and was keeping the door from closing. I couldn't get the door to go where it was supposed to go. Why? Something was keeping it off the, off the wall. What was it doing? It was a wedge. It was a wedge. Something was keeping it from getting it where it needed to be. So watch what I did. I reached in behind the garbage can. I flipped the box back up, slid it into the little container, a holder that it has there for the box, and the door got exactly where it needed to go. What did I do? I removed the wedge. I removed the wedge. Something was keeping it off. Now, folks, look, if we genuinely desire revival, let's go to the root of our problem. What is the root? It's your wedge. It's your wedge. What is keeping you from getting where you need to be? What is keeping you from getting back into the presence of God? Now, look, I don't know tonight. Thank God. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know what your wedge is tonight. I don't know what the wedge is that you're clinging to that's keeping you from getting where you need to go, but that's what's keeping you from peace. That's what's keeping you from power. That's what's keeping you from the providence of God. And there comes a time where we want revival so bad that we're willing to pull out all the wedges that are keeping us from getting to the place we need to be. Why? Because revival is when God's people return to God's presence. Now, what did he say here? I, look at verse 15, I dwell in the high and holy place and with him, with him. God says, I want to dwell with you. God has proof of that all throughout scripture that he wants to dwell with you. But watch this, you've got to dwell with God his way, 
They said, what is his way? Well, I'll show you. Keep reading verse 15. The Bible says, I dwell with him also that is, he's fixing to tell us how we dwell with him. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Now, can I tell you, the presence of God is not one of these neo-evangelical name it and claim it things. Well, I want the presence of God, therefore I'm going to have it simply because I want it. No, if you want it, you're going to get it God's way. Notice who he says he dwells with. He didn't say, I dwell with anybody who just wants it. He says, I dwell with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. You see, in order to dwell in the presence of God... You've got to have the perspective of God. Now, what is that? I'll give an example. Several years ago, my dad and I and a few other pastors went to Washington, D.C. to meet with our congressman. It was Greg Harper uh, at the time. And uh, we set up a meeting with him, wanted to talk to him about the direction uh, of a few things in our country. And uh, he was very gracious to allow us to come up there. But before we could go meet him, uh, we had to fill out some paperwork. We had to go through some background checks, and all of that was cleared. We were green-lighted to come up to D.C. We went to D.C. to meet with him. I believe it was a cannon building that we went in uh, where his office was at. Uh, before we could get even into the building, we had to go through a metal detector. You know, I guess we just have those, those faces, you know, like we're, uh, we're up to no good. And, uh, man, they wandered us all over, walked through these things. They frisked us, had to take our wallets out, our shoes off, and all of these things. And there were things I didn't necessarily like doing, Okay. It's like going to an airport. I, I don't like it. For some reason, they always get Miley. She looks shifty. They always pull her off to the side. They always get her, and she has to go over there. You know, I don't know. She looks like some kind of extremist, I guess, but they always pull her off to the side. That's how they did us at the, at the Cannon Building. Now, I didn't enjoy all the things I had to go through to get to meet him. But in order for me to go about what I desired, and what I desired was to speak with him about the direction of our country, in order for me to come into his presence, there were some protocols I had to go through. Now, watch this. That is a mortal, fallible man. And I was willing to go through all of those steps just to come into his presence to get the thing that I was seeking, which ultimately was just a few minutes of his time in his ear to hear out what I had to say. Now, if I was willing to do those things, to come into the presence of a mortal, fallible man... How much more so tonight should God's people be willing to go through whatever it takes for us to come into the presence of God? Now, what are those things? Let's see it right quickly. If we're going to have revival, we're going to have to see things God's way. And how does God see things? Notice the second root of revival, if we could. Notice the perspective of revival. The perspective. Now, stick with me. You'll see this tonight. The perspective. God dwells with who? Well, the first thing he says here, he dwells with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. He's contrite or contrite. Now, what does that mean tonight? We, see, we hear the word contrite and we think about someone being sad. Look, if being sad got you into the presence of God, then we would have gotten into the presence of God last year. Because we've all had a lot of things to be sad about, haven't we? If we didn't get it in 2020, we definitely would have got it in 2021. Now, it's not just being sad that gets us into the presence of God. It's what we're sad about. All right? Now, folks, if we desire to be in the presence of God, we're going to have to do things his way and see things his way from his perspective. Now, what is, what is it that we're sad about tonight? Well, here's the simple fact. The difference between us and God, one of them, is oftentimes we get sad about our circumstances, whereas God is sad about our sin. Okay? We get sad because of the consequences of sin, 
Whereas God is brokenhearted over sin and the presence of sin itself. Do you remember when you were a kid? I can remember because it wasn't too many years ago. Uh, I'd be getting a spanking for something. My dad believed in spanking, and uh, he was good at it. And uh, he was a lot better than mom was. And so I used to beg my mom before dad got home, why don't you just go ahead and spank me? You just go ahead and spank me. Why? Because mom was so much easier than my dad was. Uh, but she usually waited for dad to get home, and dad would give us our spanking. And do you know oftentimes I was crying before he ever swung the belt? I was. <laughs> I was trying to, as best I could, show him some type of remorse that might gender some type of mercy from him. Do you know I wasn't crying because of what I did wrong? I was crying because I got caught, and now I was being punished. Now, there's a lot of people in the world, me included, over the last couple of years through this judgment that we're going through. We've all cried a lot. But are we crying because of our circumstances or are we crying because of our sin? Now, God's perspective is this, that we be contrite. You say, okay, well, they're sad because gas is over $2, almost $3 a gallon. No, no, no. That's not what he's talking about. Well, they're sad because they are running out of Oreos. Now, I've got plenty. I've got plenty, all right? Don't bring me any more. I've got plenty, I promise. I told you I'm trying to lose weight, so I don't need any more. But we're sad because of our circumstances when what God would desire that we be sad about is that we see things from his perspective. What is God's perspective? God is not sad just because of the outcome of sin. God is saddened because of the presence of sin. And if we desire to dwell in the presence of God, we've got to have God's perspective. And what is God's perspective? God hates sin. God hates sin. And we've got to be, remember Josiah? I love Josiah. What a young man with courage and boldness. God allows him to assume the throne, and next thing you know, he's up there tearing down the altars, destroying the, the idols. Why? Because he had the same perspective as God. He said, you know what? God and the idols can't coexist. We've got to destroy them. That's God's perspective. By the way, do you know, you read Genesis chapter number six. What does the Bible say when God looked down at man's sin? The Bible says it grieved him at his heart. It grieved him at his heart. And then about two verses later, the Bible says, but Noah found grace. And then you read over in 2 Peter, the Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Do you know why Noah and his family got to get on that boat and their lives were spared when nobody else's lives were spared and God used them? They had the same perspective as God. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Sin grieved Noah just like it grieved God. Now, folks, here's what I'm afraid of tonight. Even in the church, I don't know that we can delineate the difference in grieving over the consequences of sin and grieving over the presence of sin. God says it's not just the consequences. I want you to grieve over the very presence of sin. 2 Corinthians seven ten. listen to this. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Godly sorrow. What does that mean? It means when you sorrow, listen, a godly sorrow. When you look at someone, not just because they're experiencing the consequences of sin, but just the very presence of sin in their life, and we get to the place where we're like Josiah or like Nehemiah, we're ready to clean house. Why? Because we want revival. We want revival. Now, folks, tonight, we can have it, but it begins with a desire to get back in the presence of God. But in order to get in the presence of God, you've got to have the perspective of God. What's the perspective? Well, the perspective is 
The revival comes when we are not just despising the, uh, the product of sin, but the very presence of sin itself. So number one, the first root is what? The presence of God. We've got a desire to dwell with God in his presence. How do we get in his, his presence? Well, we've got to have the same perspective as God. We're contrite. We're brokenhearted over the very presence of sin. And then finally, look down, if you will. The Bible says, I dwell with him also that is of a contrite and what? Humble spirit. A contrite and humble spirit. So watch how this order of events works together. It's a beautiful puzzle piece. It all locks together. Revival is desiring the presence of God. So what are we willing to do? We're willing to have the perspective of God. I'm going to see things God's way. I'm going to be contrite over the presence of sin. But wait a minute. It says, and humble spirit. You say, well, how do you know? How do you know that you're genuinely contrite over sin, not just the outcome of sin, but the very presence of sin. How do you know? Well, the Bible uses the word humble. There's humility there. Now, this is the third root, and boy, it brings it all together. The third root is the proof for revival. The proof for revival. As you read the Word of God and you read about great revivals and great works of God, it's amazing how often you find humility. It's there. It's there. People were brought low. We just mentioned Nehemiah. The walls were brought down. The gates were burned with fire. They were low. David, David, asking God for revival to raise him up. He was brought low. Now, I thought about this. Why does humility and revival make a perfect marriage? Why is humility always coupled in revival? Second Chronicles 7.14, what does it say? If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. And the very end says heal their land. Once again, humility and revival, they're going hand in hand. Now, why does that work? Here's why I believe tonight, and we'll see this in this passage of Scripture here, verse 15. Only when we are humbled are we willing. Think about this tonight. Only when we're humbled are we willing. So in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, it mentions being humbled first shall humble themselves and then pray. I believe with all of my heart, the humility has got to come before the prayer. Do you know why so many people are not praying for revival? They haven't been humbled far enough yet. You see, humility is what makes us willing. Now, look, in order for us to have that contrite heart and be brokenhearted over the presence of sin, we have to be humbled. And finally, when we're brought low, we're willing to not only confess our sin, but forsake it. Why? Humility makes us willing. I saw a man yesterday outside of Walmart. Oftentimes, we see this outside of Walmart, and my heart breaks for people that, that are, have fallen on tough times. A lot of people fall on tough times. The man was holding up a sign. It looked like his wife standing there beside him. It says, uh, need help, need food, I need money for my kids, so on and so forth. It was there. I thought to myself, <clears throat> that's very humbling. It's very humbling. I've learned not to say never, okay? I've learned not to say never. Because I think when you boast, you put a bullseye on your back and maybe God has to teach us a lesson. But boy, begging for food, hmm, I don't know that I could do that. But buddy, I guarantee you if I got humbled low enough, I'd be willing to beg. Now go back to 714, 2 Chronicles 714. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves 
And then what does it say? And pray. Do you know why we're not calling out to God in repentance for our sin? Do you know why we're not calling out to God, begging God for revival, taking our lunch break at work, turning off the TV for a little while, I'm spending more time in prayer. Do you know why we're not praying? We haven't been humbled yet. Because humility makes us willing. The proof of revival is when we have been humbled so much before God that we're willing to cry out to him. What does it say? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Why aren't we seeking his face? We haven't been humbled enough yet. We're not low enough yet. To turn from our wicked ways, we haven't been humbled enough yet. The proof for revival is when we're so humbled that we're to the place we're willing to beg God and ask God to do what only God could do. We're willing to forsake what God is calling us to forsake. The reason tonight we're not willing is because we're not humbled far enough. And I wonder what God's going to have to take away in the rest of America before we finally get to that place. James 4, 6, what does it say? God resisteth the proud. God resisteth the proud. Can I tell you, when you try to come into the presence of God, the last thing you want is for God to resist you. No. No. The other day when we were on vacation, I saw two NBA players, the Lopez brothers, uh, Brooke and, uh, what is it, Miley? Robin, thank you. Brooke and Robin Lopez. They're like six foot nine, okay? They kind of stand out. And uh, they're walking, they're walking. They're, they're not 50 feet from me. I like basketball. I knew who they were. I, I could even spot them on their masks. One has a big uh, caveman hairdo and the other one has a close hairdo. There's no doubt. Two guys, six foot nine, you know, they probably play basketball and we figured out pretty quick who they were. And so I thought, you know what? I'd like to go say hello. You know, I'm a fan. And so I started walking toward them, and all of a sudden, their handler steps in front of me, and he goes, now, they're six foot nine, so I listened to their handler, okay? I didn't try to go and invade their space. You know what he did? He resisted me. I was trying to come into their presence, and he says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to let you. be honest with you, it kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. I'm like, I'm not watching you this year. When you're playing, the Bucs are playing. I'm not going to watch any Bucs games because, hey, I'm a fan and you don't want me to be your fan now. I'm not going to be your fan then. He resisted me coming to his presence. Kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. Can I tell you what's even worse? When God resists you, God says, no. You're trying to come into my presence? No. You say, well, why would God resist us? Well, the Bible says God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the what? Humble. Do you know why I believe God's resisting us tonight? We haven't been humbled enough yet. We haven't been humbled enough to be contrite over our sin, to confess our sin, to forsake our sin, and to surrender to God all of those wedges that keep us away from him. God says, nope, nope, don't ask me for revival. I'm not giving it to you. Why? Because you've not been humbled enough yet. He said, well, I'm humble, God, I'm humble. I'm sad. He says, no, you're sad for your circumstances. You're not sad for your sin. The way you know you're sad for your sin is when you've been humbled so far, you're willing to give up your sin. Whatever you want, God, you have it. Like I said, the man that was asking for money and asking for food the other day, how heartbreaking that was. What a great lesson for us that we would be so willing tonight to beg God to forgive us of our sin and to come into his presence again. The proof for revival is what? It's humility. The proof is when we're willing to let go of what God says we should be contrite over. We're willing to give up. We're willing to take up. We're willing to have faith. We're willing to be obedient. These are the roots of revival, folks. I believe with all my heart, God sits by. God has revival, an abundance resource for us tonight. He has abundance of it. 
And God would desire to revive our hearts, or as in verse 15 says, to revive our spirits. But notice he says, in order for you to dwell with me in my presence, you've got to have a contrite and humble spirit. I wonder tonight, I wonder with all of my heart, are we willing to come to this place where we want revival so much that we long to be in the presence of God that we're going to have the perspective of God and be brokenhearted over sin. I'm not going to live in sin any longer. I'm not going to cling to this wedge. Why? This wedge is keeping me from the presence of God. Or else, watch this, you hold on to that wedge. Nope, not ready to give it up yet. You know what that means? More humbling. We haven't got low enough yet. Maybe gas prices haven't got high enough yet. Maybe the shelves haven't got empty enough yet. All right? Maybe politics haven't gotten out of whack enough yet. God says, looks down, they're not humble yet. Why? Because they're still holding on to their wedges that are keeping them from coming into my presence. God says, I want to dwell with you again, and I want you to be in my presence again. But you've got to be willing to take care of these roots of revival. God's presence requires God's perspective. And the proof that we've got the right perspective is we're humble enough to do whatever it takes to come into the presence of God. Tonight, let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed.